Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of uh, our study uh, this morning is A Red Letter Sermon. A Red Letter Sermon. And, and of course that might give uh, or put some thoughts in your mind there. Because uh, we all, I think not we all, but many of us have seen uh, the Red Letter Bible, right? where it tells you in the Bible that the words of Christ are in red, or the red, red letter edition. And uh, I was curious about that, and, and I went and had a look at it, and apparently the, the inspiration or the thought behind printing the words of, of Jesus in red is the verse in Luke that talks about when Jesus was in the Last Supper, and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And someone uh, had the idea of, uh, why don't we print the words of Christ in red? And it was a good, popular idea. So the first Bible that was printed, the first red letter Bible, was in 1901. So they've been around for quite a while. And uh, from that point, it became instantly popular and has been ever since. How many of us today have a red letter Bible? My Bible is okay, most of everyone, wow. Now, the, the point, obviously, and the purpose for printing the words of Christ in red is to make them stand out. Uh, to make them easily visible. Uh, and, and it helps, you know, I'm trying to find a verse, it's very easy, oh yeah, the red, that's what all the things that Jesus said. Of course, uh, it's, it's what people believe Jesus said there. You know, some of these verses, there is a few you know, verses that, that might differ. But the idea is that these are the words of Christ, the words of Christ in, are in red. Now I find it interesting that if you gather all the words that Jesus spoke, all these red letter words, and you put them together, you'll find that they form a small percentage of the Bible. They're a small part. Uh, you know, I went and tried to do that, but it, it, the task was a little bit bigger than I, than I anticipated as far as, because there's a lot of overlapping in the Gospels as well. And so, you know, there's quite a, a good segment that would have to be, because it's counted twice. The point I'm making simply is there is little. There isn't really that much as far as the words of Christ in, uh, that are in red, especially if you compare it with other parts of the Bible, but also if you compare it with other important historical or religious figures and what we have on record as what they might have written down or what they may, might have spoken. Here we have Jesus Christ, the most important event, the Son of God coming as a man, living on earth for 33 years. And we actually have a very brief account of just a sample or a snippet of the words that he spoke. You with me? And uh, I don't know about you, but I have often wondered, you know, and, and wished that we had more of his words. Because his words is important. We know the scripture tells us what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Especially so if it's the words that are proceeding from the lips of Christ. Because let's, let's open our Bibles. Let's go to John 12. Uh, obviously, it's not, there's no uh, slides or PowerPoint today. So this is going to be our PowerPoint right there in our hands. Revela uh, John chapter 12. And in John 12 is a familiar verse, verse 49. Just the importance of the words. Every word of God is important, but notice what Jesus says here, for I have not spoken of myself, 
But the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. So all the red letter words that Jesus spoke are, are actually who is speaking. It is the Father speaking. And so the Father is speaking through, a, through his Son in the clearest way. He spoke before through prophets, and we'll come to that in a little bit. But every word that Jesus spoke is directly the word of God. Nobody was taught of God or communicated God's word as clearly as Christ. So if man should live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the most important of all these words would be the red letter words. Isn't that right? And yet we have so few of them if you com in comparison uh, with other ones, like I said. Now, of course, we know when Jesus was on earth, God, uh, you know, in the Mount of Transfiguration said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We are to hear him. And so, there are few. Have you ever thought about that, or am I the only one here thinking, I wish there were more, uh, more words that Christ recorded? Uh, let me put it to you this way. Uh, there are other Bible figures. One, one example of that is, is uh, David. We, know, we seem to know more about the details of David, and what David did, and where David went. And we have many, many chapters, even books, dedicated to David. Here is Christ. And we don't have as much about Christ as David. You with me? Uh, David is no more important than Christ, but we have so little. And I've often wondered, why do we have so little? Uh, John chapter 21, we all know this verse. Let's look at it. We're not far. John chapter 21. He gives us, John gives us an insight here. He almost like uh, give, tries to tell us what we're missing out on. John 21 and verse 25. And he says here, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. You know, I read that verse and I thought, man, why didn't they write them down? I'd be happy to read lots of books about what Jesus did, what Jesus said, a lot more. Isn't that right? You, are you with me? It almost gives us like you guys are missing out on so much, you have no idea. <laughs> we just told you the bare minimum. That's, that's, what, it, that's what it says. And uh, why so little? Why so little? That's a question I've often asked myself. Well, some people might say, well, you know, brother, uh, we have enough. We have enough to know about salvation. You know, God does not bother us with all kinds of details. But everyone who says that, I'm sure they would not have minded if there was more. So yes, I agree with that. We have enough to know the Savior. We have enough to know about the plan of salvation and all these things. But uh, I know I would have loved more. What about you? I'd like to know if you think like me. If you, if you would have loved to have more of the words of Christ, I want you to put your hand up. Okay, just say, okay, I'm not the only one. All right, well, praise the Lord. Uh, let me just give you a few examples of, of what more there could have been. Just, just to get our minds thinking, because... It's like uh, this verse that we just read in John, it's like God is trying to almost uh, whet our appetite and tell us, you know what, there is a lot more. This is not the end of the story. There was much, much more. For example, just things that, uh, of more that, that could have been. You know, when Jesus went to be baptized uh, in the Jordan from John the Baptist, he actually had a prayer. The book of Zarab Ages especially brings that out. And uh, it says that the angels had never, ever heard such a prayer. 
when Jesus prayed after his baptism. You remember reading that? I really would have loved to have a record of that prayer, wouldn't you? 4,000 years of human history, of many faithful people, from Adam all the way down to John the Baptist. And here we have Christ, and he offers a prayer that even the angels, they say, wow, we've never heard a prayer like that before. Boy, I would have loved to read that prayer. What about his other prayers? You know, Jesus prayed to the Father many times. He actually prayed all night to the Father. What is it like to pray all night? What do you say? We were talking the other day about praying for a long time and, and, and maybe an hour or two. And, and uh, you know, sometimes people say, what do you say for that long? What is there to say? Do you think it would have helped maybe to see a record of a prayer that went all night? The prayers of Christ, brothers and sisters, were something else. Because if you think about it, one day the disciples heard Christ praying. And when they heard him pray, they felt like they didn't know how to pray. Because they came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. What we're hearing here is very different to what we are used to, to what we think and what we understand is prayer. And so I sometimes think, you know, it would have been really wonderful to have some of these prayers recorded. We have one prayer, one long prayer of Christ recorded in John chapter 17. And it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into how Christ communicated with his Father. That relationship that he had in those prayers, you know, that's, that's where it was. We have one such in John 17. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter that just gives us that insight into Christ's relationship and communication with his Father. Do you think it would have helped to have uh, some other prayers recorded? I certainly would have loved that. But we don't. So we want to explore that a little bit as well. What about when Christ was growing up? What about when Christ was a, was a youth, a young man? We have no information about that. We basically only have information about when Christ began his ministry and when he ended it and some of his actions, the things that he did and the things that he said. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to belittle what we have. What we have is beautiful and fantastic and extremely important. I'm just thinking out loud as to the brevity of it. That's, uh, that's the thing. Let's look at uh, John chapter 1. Just a couple more examples here. John chapter 1 and verse 38 and 39. John chapter 1, verse 38 and 39. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So here's John the Baptist. He points out Christ. and says, This is the Lamb of God. And so two of his disciples, they go follow Christ and say, Where are you staying? And they go and they stay with him that day. I wonder what they talked about. Here's their first encounter with Jesus. One of them was Andrew, who later went and called Peter and so on. But here is an account, and they spent the whole day with him, talking, discussing, sharing. What did they talk about? We're not told. I would have loved to know. Another example, I think you know, when the Pharisees sent the, the soldiers and the officers to go and arrest Jesus, and they went and they heard him speaking, and they were so captivated by what he spoke, they forgot about their mission and their job. They came back 
And the Pharisees are like, where is he? What? You didn't get him. And they said, we've never heard someone speak like that. What did he say? I want to hear what he said. What is it that these soldiers were so impacted with? If you read the account, there's not much that they actually said there. What did they hear? That's, that's quite outstanding. You know, I'd love to one day, you know, uh, be in a situation where, you know, we know that the powers will be, will, will join up and, and try and persecute those who are uh, God's people. And they'd come and we'd be sharing a message and they'd come to arrest us and they stand at the door. Not necessarily me, but you know, the message is shared among us people. And they stand there in trance and they go back and say, wow, these guys, we never heard anything like that before. That's what it was with Christ. What did he say? What about when Christ, after his resurrection, the Bible tells us, he spent with his disciples, how long? 40 days, right? It says, speaking to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What was that about? He had now risen. They had a better understanding of what he had come to accomplish. And he was expounding to them and explaining to them all these things about the kingdom of God. Where is that? I, I'd love to read about that. You know what I'm talking about? It's like there is this, this desire, this hunger. Is, oh, we want to know more. More of what Christ has said. So I want us to keep that in mind because uh, hopefully I want to look at perhaps one of the reasons why there isn't that much information. Why God has chosen or allowed it to happen this way. One of the outstanding characteristics or traits that we find in Christ is that he is extremely personal. We find that some of the most loved teachings or passages of the scriptures are a record of what Christ said to only one person in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. For example, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It was only him, one-on-one. -on -one. Here is this private, personal encounter. And Jesus tells Nicodemus some of the most profound gems of truth that we love to quote, that we treasure, that are dear and precious to us. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talked to him about the new birth, he talked about it in such detail that we do not find in any other places in Christ's teaching and in Christ's ministry. You realize that? The go-to place to quote and talk about the new birth is John chapter 3. That's the interview that Nicodemus and Christ had together. And that kind of made me think, wow, you know, here is Jesus, a beautiful, profound truth. He didn't preach it on the mountain as far as recorded. He didn't preach it in the synagogue. He spoke it to only one person, a personal encounter, a one-on-one -on -one encounter where he revealed precious truth. Another example is the woman at the well, of course. You know the story of the woman at the well. We quote these verses a lot. They that worship God must worship him, what? In spirit and in truth. Jesus said that, not in a sermon, not to a group of people. He said it to one woman, a sinner, an outcast of her society. And that's what he told. He gave her, he gave her this precious gem of truth. And we find those as very, very profound. Another one, of course, is uh, Peter at the beach there after the, the resurrection and Christ was walking with Peter at the beach, on the beach and, and he tells him, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then what does he tell him? Feed my sheep or my lambs or my sheep. Precious verses, we quote that a lot. That was a one-on-one -on -one encounter. So it gives us a little bit of an insight. 
Here is Christ, he has this trait, this characteristic of revealing outstanding, precious truth and insight in a personal manner. And there is something significant about that. Another example, of course, was with the 12. This time it wasn't one-on-one, but it was in his uh, close uh, group of uh, disciples, the 12, in the Last Supper and following. You find it interesting that in the Gospel of John, from chapter 13, it talks about the, uh, you know, the story of the Last Supper. And then from 14 down to 17, you have the largest section of red letters, almost uninterrupted. The, the common, if you look at the pages of your Bible, it's all red and only black here and there. Whereas normally it's the opposite, right? You have the largest discourse where Christ is speaking. And he reveals some beautiful, beautiful truths to his disciples. The main theme of that, of course, was his departure and the sending of the Comforter. Beautiful verses that we love to quote that are dear and precious to us. He revealed them in this personal encounter with his disciples at the Last Supper. We don't get that information from the other Gospels. If you read the account of the Last Supper in the other Gospels, you you think, oh, they had the, the supper and they went out and this happened and he was arrested and that's it. John actually tells us, no, no, no. We had a long discussion, and this is some of the things that Christ told us. It's a lot. It kind of really gives you a different perspective as to what that event was like. Obviously, Christ doing that and revealing this particular attribute or characteristic, he is reflecting the character of God, his Father. That God himself actually is a very personal and intimate God. That's really the point that I want to make from these examples that I'm quoting. It's not just the life of Christ. God often interacted and behaved with his people in a very, very personal manner with outstanding revelations at such encounters. For example, I'll give you a few. And just, you know, our study today is not gonna be a detailed informative study. It's just something to really challenge us hopefully and, uh, and call us a little higher. For example, Enoch walked with God, right? We don't know what they talked about, do we? But Enoch walked with God. God took time out in his schedule of running running the universe. He took a little time just for one person, for Enoch. And that time was so impacting that the Bible tells us Enoch walked with God and eventually he was not found. God actually took him. Another one, of course, we know is Abraham. Abraham is a friend of God. They had this intimate, close connection. And uh, we know the story of Abraham when he offered Isaac. A a, a beautiful, beautiful story, right? Uh, A dearly loved one, especially if you believe the truth about God and you know the Son of God. There is that, you know, illustration right there on that mountain where no one else was present, right? Such Such a profound and incredible encounter and story and there was no one else there to witness it was just God Abraham and Isaac even his servants he left them down at the bottom of the mountain or or somewhere else remember that a very personal and important encounter and it's such a profound truth we read some of these personal encounters and we take so much courage and hope from them isn't that right they mean a lot to us because we see in them a picture of God as a personal and intimate God. He's doing something privately. He's not doing it for show. He's not doing it because there is an audience. He's not doing it because there's a whole heap of people listening. You know, we kind of think the opposite. We judge the 
the success sometimes of a camp by how many people attended, right? And you know, as, as speakers, sometimes you think, oh, there's a lot of people. Well, we better prepare a good message. <laughs> you know, something, there's an audience. This is a human trait. You know what I'm talking about? God does not operate on that level. He's not like, oh, I'm going to reveal something really important now about my son in this story of Abraham and Isaac. I, I, want, I want people to be there to see. No. God, God actually didn't have anyone there, and he revealed it. That tells us something about God. Another one, of course, you know, is, is Jacob when he was running away, and, and the story of Jacob's ladder, you know, that dream. We love that story. Very encouraging. God revealed it to one person. Many, many others. Uh, what about when Jacob wrestled with the angel? All night. And then Jacob says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. How many times have you been, been encouraged by that verse and that story? A personal encounter, a one-on-one -on -one encounter between God, of course, in this case, it was Christ, and Jacob. And we find so much courage and hope in that. We're thankful that these things are recorded for us. It just gives us a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of an insight. And many, many others, you can go and find them. But one, one special one that I also really like, is, uh, is the story of Samuel. Here is Samuel, a little boy, and the God of heaven, the mighty God of heaven, comes to Samuel and calls him by name and has this personal, one-on-one -on -one experience and interaction with Samuel. You know, I thought about that. I thought, man, you know, I, I wish I was like Samuel when I was little. <laughs> I remember when I was little, I, I heard the story, and I go to sleep, and, and, and I'd be listening just in case something happened. <laughs> So that's the story of Samuel. There's many, many insights, brothers and sisters, in the scriptures that reveal that to us. And, and don't get me wrong, God is a, a God of awesome might and power and deliverance. He delivered the whole nation of Israel. He did wonders in the sight of a huge audience. The whole world heard about it. The Israelites, when they were coming to the promised land and Jericho, they said, look, we've heard what your God did to the Egyptians. And they were trembling. So God is a mighty God. He still does all these things. But I want to really emphasize this personal aspect because it's very, very significant and very important for us. God is interested in individuals. He stoops down in a most unexpected way, we would think, humanly speaking, to interact with his people one-on-one. -on -one. And it actually reveals something about the heart of God and the desire of God to have this personal interaction. Christ revealed that a number of times. And so I want us also to keep that in mind because we find that Biographies, you know, many times when we're traveling, there is a, uh, we're waiting for the plane. We do a lot of waiting in airports and planes. So we wonder, I, I like to wander through the bookstores book and look at what, what's happening and what, what people are looking at, what's popular, what, what's being read. There is a section, the biography section, the life stories of the, of the famous people in the world. And people like to read biographies. Biographies are basically information. It's just information about a person's life, what they did and what they said. That's what a biography is. And many times, we are prone to look at the record of Christ, and what it is many times is like a biography. Here's what he said, here's what he did, here's where he went. This is what happened. He was this old when that happened. He was that, this, is, this is who was present when he said that bit, and that, it's like a biography. And biographies are information. That's what they are. You can read someone's biography, and you do not really know them personally. Do you? You only know about them. And so in this biography that we have of Christ, God is not interested in us knowing about his son. 
God is not interested in us just knowing what Jesus did, where Jesus went, how many miracles he performed. Because we could do all that, and to us, it would only just be a biography. God is interested in something infinitely greater than that. And that makes me wonder, is that perhaps why the record is so brief? Is that perhaps why there isn't the great abundance of information? Because this is how we would treat it as more information. You see, there are experts today on the life of Christ. You know, there's gospel harmonies. They're great. They're fantastic. They're very helpful. But at the end, and they try and, and synchronize, you know, or, or put in chronological order where Jesus was, where this event in this gospel was before this one, and all that. You know what I'm talking about? And they're very, you do or not? The gospel harmonies, that's what they do. They try and, and put the whole, all the information we have of Christ in order. Very, very interesting. But this is not what eternal life is about at all. Eternal life, brothers and sisters, is not knowing about Jesus and having all that information. Eternal life is actually to know him personally. And there is a big difference between knowing what he said and what he did and being an expert in it and between knowing him personally. There is a huge difference. And the temptation many times is that we become so familiar with what Christ said and did. We become experts on the life of Christ and in so doing, we imagine or believe that we know him because we know all about him. You with me? And so God has given us a brief account about him to actually keep us in the place where actually we're not experts because, oh, I wish we knew this and wish we knew that, I wish we knew the other thing. There's so many missing bits and pieces that are just not there. Because God is not interested in us being experts on all the details of where his son went and what his son did and what he accomplished and how many miracles. He doesn't want us to know this information because if it's only information to us, it will never give us eternal life. There is something else that God wants us to know. There is another level. God actually wants us to know his son personally. Many times, those people that write their biographies, they're either at the end of their life or they've died and they left their biography. The Son of God is alive. We don't have a biography of Christ that's finished. The Son of God is alive. There is a big difference. He's not in the same category as anyone else. And just as we saw earlier, that God and Christ is a personal God. God actually desires and longs to reveal more to us of His Son that is not written in a book. God wants to give us a revelation of His Son that is not a revelation that you can write down on paper with ink. It is something else. And Christ is still alive and He speaks. And He still speaks. The Gospel accounts are not the end of the words of Christ. You realize that? The Gospel accounts are not the end of the words of Christ. It's not like Christ went back to heaven, left these four people to write his biography for him, and offer it to the world as a bestseller. That is not the case. Too often, we treat the words of Christ and the scriptures as such. And we need to be mindful of that. Let's go to the Bible. John chapter 16. Let's look at a few other verses here quickly. John chapter 16. 
and verse 12. John 16, verse 12. Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Many things, which gives us the implication that what he said were a little, a few things that he had to, he wanted to expand on that so much more. And you know, I think of this happens, why didn't they say, tell us? Tell us now, what are these things? But he says what, you cannot bear them. You know, I, I would have said, Lord, please make me able to bear them and tell me these things. What are these things? I want to know, I want to understand. What are these things that actually Christ longs to reveal, to speak? And the point that I take from that is this, brothers and sisters. The red words in the Bible are not the end of what Christ has to say. He has much more to reveal to us, to speak to us. You know, he told us that. He says when the Comforter has come, what's he going to do? He's going to teach you all truth. He's going to lead you and to guide you into all truth. That, and we know that Comforter is who? It is Christ. So Christ is basically telling us, I still want to continue speaking to you personally and guiding you and leading you. What I said when I was here on earth 2,000 years ago is beautiful and wonderful, but that is not the end of my speaking. And the question is this, do you hear him speaking to you? And I do not mean speaking only through the words of Scripture. Do I hear him speaking to me and in me? This is what he wants to do. This is what he says. You know, we talk about Christ living in you and dwelling in you, and, and we're emphasizing that's emphasized throughout the camp. Here's the question. Do you ever hear from him? That's the question. That's what we really, really need to know, brothers and sisters. What is Christ saying? Let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, just look at another passage here, another beautiful passage. 1 John chapter 2. And verse 27. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. What is that anointing? It is the Spirit. It is Christ. God, God's intention is telling us, listen, John is saying, you have this anointing. This anointing teaches you and guides you so that you do not have a need for anyone to teach you and guide you. In other words, Jesus still wants to speak to you personally and to teach you, and to guide you, and to instruct you. These promises, brothers and sisters, are not just talking about the Bible. You with me? It's talking about a personal interaction and experience where Christ speaks to you one-on-one, -on -one, just as he did with so many others before. And sometimes this is why I think, perhaps this is why there's not as much words that Christ spoke that are recorded for us. There is enough for us to know, enough to whet our appetite so that we can long for and desire the more. And in desiring the more, we come to the living Christ who still speaks. His words, the Bible says, are spirit 
and life. Too often, to us as Christians, as believers, Christ is a historical figure that we refer to, that we know information about, but that is kept at arm's length. You know what I'm talking about? Too many of us treat Christ this way. Does he really speak to us? Do we have that personal connection? Let me say it this way. Too many of us interact with the Bible and have a relationship with the Bible and we think this is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? I know that sounds a bit dangerous because someone say, What's, what are you doing, brother, to the Bible? But you know what I'm talking about? Our relationship with God in so many people's minds is how we interact and how we relate to the Bible, how we know parts of the Bible, how we spend time in the Bible. And to us, this is how we relate and interact with God. I have news for you. There is more to God than what's in the Bible. Did you know that? We all know that. And so do we commune with God? And does God commune with us in a personal, living way? That's the question. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 is the, the, the place where the priesthood of Christ is outlined and highlighted. Hebrews chapter 1. And my point, perhaps in saying that, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want people to misunderstand me, but I still want to make my point. This book that we have in our hands, that we refer to as the Bible, brothers and sisters, this book is not Jesus. It is not. Isn't that right? But too many times we treat this book as if it was, as if it was Jesus. I'm gonna to come to that a little bit more. But in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is what I want to look at. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, or in his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. What, what are these last days that Paul is referring to here? It's with the coming of Christ, right? He's not talking about, you know, down in 2000s. Paul is saying, now with the advent of Christ, we have a different manner of speaking that God is choosing to communicate to the human race. Before times, God spoke through whom? Prophets. In these last days, he now speaks to us in his son. When did God start speaking in his son or through his son? When Jesus was on earth. You know what? God has not stopped speaking when Jesus went back to heaven. That's the point that Jesus is making in these accounts when he talks about the Comforter. In other words, God is still speaking in his Son. And his way of speaking in his Son, he wants to do it to you and me personally, individually. The question is this, do we hear him? You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, talk about the Old and the New Covenant and the Old and the New Testament. You know what the difference is between the Old and the New Covenant? Here is one verse that tells us the difference. In the Old Covenant, God spoke through prophets. In the New Covenant, God speaks in His Son. Now notice the tenses that I used very carefully. In the Old Covenant, God spoke through the prophets. 
In the new, he's still speaking through his son. Which one is a superior form of speaking, do you think? How he speaks in his son, because his son, it tells us a little later, he's the express image of his person. If anyone knows the father is the son, Jesus actually said that. No man knows God, only the begotten son knows him and to whom he has declared him. God is longing, brothers and sisters, to give us an experience, to speak to us in a way that is foreign to most of us. You know what I'm talking about? As a people in general, not just the people in this, in this room or in this uh, building today. God wants to speak to us in His Son in such a way that to most of us it is totally unknown. All we know is what He has said in the Bible. Now that's very important, that's very significant because that's what teaches us that there is more. But how many times do we go to the more? We know the verse, we don't have to go there. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. And that's how we believe Christ dwells in us, right? Christ dwells in us by His Spirit or by His life. It transforms our being. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. Knowing God is not knowing the Bible. We can know the Bible so well and still not know God. You realize that? If you do not have the Son, not only dwelling and living in you, but if you do not have the Son speaking in you and to you, then I wonder if your relationship is only with a book where the words are ink on paper. When Jesus said the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, he was not referring to this. Did you know that? The word here, this is words that are written with ink on paper. Jesus says, the words that I'm telling you, they are spirit and they are life. The Bible is a written form of God's words. It is not the living form of God's words. Do we have the words of Christ that are spirit and that are truth? That is the question. Do we ever hear from him? Does a living person speak to you? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters. What is our relationship with Christ like? We have morning and evening worship and we study the Bible and, and, and many times we define our religious experience and our religious walk with the things that we do in interacting with the scriptures. Excellent, great, good things. But there is another level. Do we know that or is that only a theory? Or is that something we hear about, but we do not know for ourselves? Does Christ speak to you personally? That's the question, that's the challenge. Does he speak these red letter words in your life? Not just as ink on paper, but to our life, to our soul. You know, the Old Testament even talks about your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walking in it. Many times, and uh, I want to share some things anyway, our time is going, but many times we find that uh, our relationship with Christ is one of silence. You know what I'm talking about? We do a lot of uh, investing, a lot of praying, and it seems to us, and I've talked to, uh, to people, and it's like there is silence from the other side. Do you hear from Christ or is it silent? Is it silence that comes back to your ears or is it something that you actually hear? Is there a living 
two-way communication. Prayer is not a one-way communication. Someone mentioned it, that you know, a little girl was praying and, and, and the grandma said amen. And it's like, no, no, we, wait, we need to hear the answer, right? Too many times, brothers and sisters, our prayers are a one-way street. It's where we tell God all these things, give him our requests and thank him and have faith and trust. But my question, my challenge is this, do you ever hear back? Do you hear back? Not just an answer to prayer. Do you hear Christ speaking in your soul? I personally believe this is a great lack among us as a people. The word is spirit and truth, brothers and sisters. We are experts in the written word. Are we experts in the living word? They're not the same. It is power as well. And so is he speaking to you. Just like the red letter, red letters in the Bible are designed to make the words of Christ stand out, right? So that you can easily, you know, your eye glances on the page and you know straight away, there is where Jesus speaks. There is where Jesus speaks. Does your life make the word of Christ stand out to others? Does your life make the word of Christ stand out to others? You see, the red letters in the scriptures are not the only place that Christ speaks, brothers and sisters. The reason why I titled the, the, the study a red letter sermon is because I want to ask this question. Is your life a red letter sermon? Is your life a red letter sermon? In other words, is your life one where Christ speaks in such a manner that his words stand out to others, that they can see and that they can realize there's something different there? We think the red letters are only in the scriptures. Did you know that God desires and wants your life and my life to be a red letter sermon where he continues to speak in his son who dwells in us? And what he will say, brothers and sisters, are things that are personal, things that are relevant, things that reveal beautiful gems of truth about him. It's not just to help us understand the scriptures. That is there. Amen. But there is more that God wants to tell us. You realize that? Is your life and is my life a red letter sermon? Jeremiah 33.3. You say, what are you talking about, brother? Here's a beautiful promise that I like. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Very easy verse to remember. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. If you say, well, well I don't know what you're talking about. Here is, a, here is a prayer we can pray. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knewest not. When was the last time we prayed that prayer, huh? God says, listen, call unto me. Ask, expect, believe, and I will show you things that you do not even dream of. That's what he's saying, right? How many times we can testify and say, you know, many times testimony time, I go to many places, right? Some places are not as bad as others. But some places, testimony time is, is that time where you look at every other person in the group wondering who's going to go up next because it's sure not going to be me, you know, and you look up around. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it seems like testimony time sometimes is a, a very awkward time when you're hoping someone will come up and share. Brothers and sisters, God wants to have an experience with us that is out of this world. The problem is this. We have too often limited God to the book 
called the Bible that reveals him to us. And we stop there. You know what I'm talking about? So God says, call unto me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you have not known. Paul says that uh, we're to be an epistle written not with ink, but with what? The spirit of the living God. The problem that exists today is this, brothers and sisters. We learn parts of the Bible and we memorize them, and that's good and well, and we repeat them. But God wants to write a living epistle with his own spirit in our hearts, in our experience, in our life, to be seen by others. There is something else. That's why Paul says we are ministers of that spirit. We minister life. We're not ministers of the letter. If this is the sum of our experience, we are missing out on so much. I personally believe there is a great dearth among us as a people. The Bible talks about a famine in the land. A famine of what? Not of bread of water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. I personally believe there is a great famine among us as a people for the living word of God. We are experts in the Bible. We're experts in understanding theology and doctrine, but where is the living word of God? The living one, you know what I'm talking about? Because the living one is powerful, brothers and sisters. Living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Is this your experience and is this my experience? <coughs> too many times we have, brothers and sisters, powerless Christians. Too often we are powerless Christians. I wondered so many times about that. Why is that? And I'm not talking here like, like I'm not. That. Many times I find myself wondering, Lord, you know, I read about things and I look at myself and I find there is a big contrast. All too often, we are powerless Christians because, brothers and sisters, God's word is not just what's written in this book called the Bible that we love and study and talk about and preach from and memorize and discuss and debate and quarrel over and uh, agree on. See, many times the Bible is the center of our experience and that's good, but that's not the end of the story, brothers and sisters. Too often we treat the scriptures and we put them in the place of God. All too often, so much so that if a brother sees a part of the scripture different to us, we bring the wrath of God upon him by how we treat him, right? It's like he has blasphemed God himself if he understands this verse a little different or that, or that verse a little different. You know what that tells me, brothers and sisters? We know the Bible, but we don't know the God of the Bible. There's a big difference because when we only know the scriptures and don't know the author, we will misinterpret and misunderstand and misapply the scriptures. There was a whole nation of Jews that did that. And we have a much bigger nation of Adventists that are doing that. You realize that? How is it with you and how is it with me? Is the word of God living in us? The Bible, Old Testament says the word of God is like a fire, Jeremiah said. It's like a fire burning in my bones and I could not keep silence, I couldn't stay. And God says to Jeremiah, is not my word like as a fire and as a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Do you know that word? That's the living word. Is your life such an experience where the word of God is living in it? The word of God here is the living Christ. I'm not talking about that you have memorized scripture in your life. That's good, but this is not what God is talking about. 
God wants the living word to dwell in you, where he speaks in his son, in your experience. Is that like a hammer and a shattering experience that others can see and know something is different about this brother or about this sister? If a person came here to our meeting today, will they see something different? To, if they go to the other meeting that's held on, the, on not even 10 meters across. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, we keep the right day, they don't, right? That's probably the argument we'll use. Great, fantastic. Do we have the living word of God, Christ living and speaking in us? He doesn't just live in us and take up a permanent silent residence. He desires to speak wonderful wonderful things. I guess sometimes I'm consoled and I say, well, maybe that's why there's little of the words of Christ. Because we have so little, and look at how many divisions and differences there are. Can you imagine if there was more written? If we argue over so little, you know, if you get all the words of Christ, you find there's not that many, and we have so many different ideas and interpretations, explanations. You know why? Because all we have is the written one, and we argue over that. If the living word, if the living Christ dwells in us, we will not be too busy arguing and debating and squabbling with each other. You realize that? There will be a totally different experience. It's actually in the absence of that experience that we desire to fill that void with something. How is it with you and how is it with me? For example, we know this, these verses. Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So what do we do? We read more of the word because this is how we will be sanctified. Isn't that right? That's how a lot of people understand this verse. Do you know it's not what Jesus was talking about? We do not get sanctified the more we read the Bible. We do not get sanctified the more we have worship time or quiet time reading the Bible or even memorizing the Bible. That does not sanctify us. And yet this is what most people do and understand. And people will quote this verse and say, see, spend more time in the Bible. That's good. I'm not trying to knock spending time in the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you there is another level. When Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, it means to make you holy, to change something in you, not just to fill you with words that are written on paper. That's what, that was the big mistake of the Jews, isn't that right? Jesus also, uh, Paul also says that Christ is made unto us of God wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is how we are sanctified. It is the presence of the living word in our soul that makes us holy. And yet, too often, we've totally missed the words of Christ. Many times we know the Bible, we memorize it, we know our way around it, we know where everything is located, and we become experts at it. And we think this is the sum of religion. But brothers and sisters, if we do not have the author of the word, then we are no better than the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, I think there's more Pharisees today than there was in the days of Christ. And they are an abhorrence to God because they are the furthest away from God, because they think they are the closest to God, because they have the word. There was such, such a disjoint for the Pharisees and today that they had the word of God, they had the law, 
the books of Moses and all the Torah, everything. They had the law. And they killed the author of the law. That's how far removed they were. They did not even recognize the author. The question is this. Do we do that today? And sadly, all too often, I see so many times where that is done. Where we have the word, and because of the word, we will crucify Christ. And we will reject Christ. Or we call that a heresy. Or Christ living in you, we say this is spiritualism. Or this is pantheism. Or I don't know what. Anything. And all the reasons are is because we are experts in the word, and we know it so well, and we memorize it. Well, brother, don't you know I preach about this? Don't you know I've preached about this for 20 years? Don't you know I've memorized this whole book of such and such? Jesus told the, the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have what? Eternal life. And there are they which testify of me, but you will not come to me. Is that what we do? Search the scriptures, thinking we have eternal life, but not coming to Christ. Let's not let the good things, brothers and sisters, get in the way of the best thing. Searching the scriptures is good. It's excellent, but it will not give us eternal life. Understanding doctrines and understanding truths that are teachings and uh, interpretations of the scriptures will not give us eternal life. If we do not take the next step and come to the author and meet the author and know the author personally, one-on-one, where he actually speaks to us and in us the things that he desires to reveal. It is because this experience is so foreign to so many people today that we have this disaster that exists among us, where we have these battles, where each side have their verses and their quotes, and we say, bring it on, brother. I've got lots of ammo, I've got pages of quotes, and we fire at them. And Jesus says, you know, you search the scriptures, you think this is what eternal life is all about? You think it's just getting the doctrines just right, and then God will say, good, now I'm happy with you? This is what the Pharisees were like. They had built this edifice of doctrines and understandings where no one could penetrate Do They fell into, they felt that they were the holy ones of God. And Jesus says, you've totally and completely missed the point. And this is what many Christians, many of us are on a journey to discover doctrinal purity and doctrinal understanding. Because we think in so doing, we will finally get to eternal life. Jesus says, this is not what it's all about. You know, when... uh, when the Pharisees, when the, when the soldiers came back to the, to the Pharisees and said, we never heard of, of anyone speak like this. And they said to them, are you crazy? Look, has anyone ever believed on him? But these people that don't know the law, they're running after him. What was their attitude? You know, if you look it up in the, in, in the, in the Greek there, it says these people, they, they were saying this, this rabble, these ignorant people who don't understand the scriptures like we do, who don't know their way in the Torah like we do. They are fools running after this Messiah. This is what a doctrinal search will lead you to. You will despise others. You will think you're an expert in your own eyes. And in so doing, you will know nothing of Jesus Christ. This is what the Pharisees, they crucified Christ. I want to give you a startling fact, brothers and sisters. Enoch walked with God. He did not have a Bible. Did you know that? I'm sure you did. 
Well, how did he have morning worship? What did Abraham read for devotion? He didn't have a Bible, right? Have you thought about that? God was speaking to them and in them. Does God speak to us? Or have we allowed the Bible to come between us and God? Wow, is that even possible? Yes, it is. <clears throat> I'm not trying to belittle the Bible, brothers and sisters. I'm magnifying the author. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not doing away with the Bible. I'm telling you that God wants to have a relationship with you that is on a totally different and personal and intimate level to the point where he actually speaks to you, where he reveals to you about himself and about all manner of things that he wants to reveal to you. What is the evidence today that we can give to people that we are God's people? You know, think about that a lot. Someone says, how, how, how can I know? How, how, is, how is it that you guys are it? What evidence can we give to a person today that we are indeed God's true people? Someone might say, well, we believe the truth. Look at, look at all these ways that we interpret the scripture also accurately. We have all these right doctrines. We keep the law, the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath. The truth about God, that's a good one. We can tell them that we believe the truth about God. But really, brothers and sisters, what evidence can you give to someone who walks in the door today? What evidence can we provide to them that we are indeed who we claim to be? That's the question. Do we have a dead religion or a living relationship with a person? Don't, don't mistake the one for the other. The problem today that exists is we think that a relationship with the Bible and with the words that are written here, we think this is the sum and summary of the Christian experience. And if you don't know as much as this brother knows in the Bible, well, you're going to grow and you'll get to the place where you know as much as he does. I have uh, come to the sad conclusion, to be honest, many times in looking at us, is all too often we represent a collection of squabbling misfits. Okay, I'll say it again. I'm just being honest here, right? As I look at us, we represent, I, I, I can't find a, a, you know, a, a pleasant way to say, this is how I think in my mind. I'm just, I'm just kind of telling you how I think. think. Man, what a bunch of squabbling misfits. And this one is this verse and that one is a verse. You know, I travel a fair bit, you know, and I go places. And I tell you what, if I would list to you the strange and bizarre ideas and things that I have heard, of all the things that people come and, 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 and say, well, the Bible here means this, and the Bible here means that. And I've got books and DVDs. I have a, a whole stack in my, in, in my office of DVDs that people gave me. I, I don't have time to sit and watch everything. And some of them, from what I've heard, and some of the ideas, I'm telling you, I have heard the strangest and weirdest ideas that existed. I was thinking, man, how do people even come up with that nonsense? Some of it is total nonsense. And you know, I'd love one day for someone to say, you know, brother, the Lord, the Lord is a living reality. This is what he has done for me. I want to share that with you. I want to testify that to you. It seems like people are concerned about sharing ideas and concepts and theories. This is what burdens them. As a matter of fact, they come sometimes and tell me, oh, you know, the Lord told me this. And unfortunately, I have come to get a little bit apprehensive as soon as someone tells me that. Because the next thing that comes is a strange idea. I'm thinking, man, where did that come from? 
And so this is something that I find challenging, and it tells me that there is something missing, brothers and sisters. There is something strangely missing. And so we try and fill the void. It is because there is this void. It is because there is this disjoint that we try and fill the void with something. Maybe it's this idea or maybe it's that idea. We seek to replace the living Christ with something. Maybe we got something wrong. Maybe, maybe it's the feast. Maybe we should keep the feast. If you keep the feast, I'm not against you, but I don't think that's right. Yes, maybe we should keep the feast. Maybe that will get us right. And then what, that doesn't work. And then we need to look. Oh, maybe it's the lunar Sabbath. Yeah, that's it. The lunar Sabbath. We start looking at the Lord and say, or some other idea, or maybe we need to just speak the names of God in Hebrew. We're speaking all these pagan names, we need to use the Hebrew. And you know what? None of these things accomplish what is desired. The living word of Christ does not come through fables. Some of these things, brothers and sisters, are Jewish fables. Or you know, the day starts from sunrise to sunset. Oh, Jesus died on Wednesday. Oh, and this one, and all that one, and all manner of ideas. I'm trying to be offensive if you believe that. But honestly, brothers and sisters, we're not going to find Christ by trying to come up with some new idea that just springs on us here down in 2015 that nobody knew about before and say, this is it. We're trying to please God by collecting some doctrines and thinking, here it is, we've got it. This is a sad revelation that we've got a serious problem among us. You realize that? That's what I'm saying. We have a problem. If this is the case, we have a problem. If all we can sit and talk about is debates and differences, I went to a camp once, and every single discussion at the camp was a doctrinal debate. Man, I was weary. I was tired. Saying, well, why don't we talk about Jesus a little bit, what Jesus has done in your experience? Why don't you tell me something that can help me in my walk? You tell me about some idea, strange idea, I don't even understand or comprehend. How is it with you? How is it with me? Is Jesus speaking to us and in us? I want to close with a quote that sums it up well. And I pray you'll get the import of this message, brothers and sisters. It's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for you and me. I realize that. And I pray that you will take that challenge to heart. And this is what this quote says. Our life is to be bound up with the life of Christ. We are to draw constantly from Him, partaking of Him, the living bread that came down from heaven, drawing from a fountain ever fresh, ever giving forth, its abundant treasures. If we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to Him, we shall have a continual freshness in our religious life. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we walk, talk, uh, sorry, as we would talk with a friend. He will speak His mysteries to us personally. Have you actually heard him speak? That's the question. He will speak to us his mysteries personally. Often there will come to us a sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. Often our hearts will burn within us as he draws nigh to commune with us as he did with Enoch. When this is in truth, not in theory, when this is in truth, the experience of the Christian, there is seen in his life a simplicity, a humility, meekness, and lowliness of heart that show to all with whom he associates that he has been with Jesus and learned of him. And that's from the book Christ Object Lessons, page 129. Brothers and sisters, I guess I'm sharing this message because I don't see that very often. And I'm wondering, where is it, Lord? 
Where is that? Is this it? Or is there something else you desire to show us? And brothers and sisters, when Christ speaks to you personally, his mystery is personal, he's not going to reveal things that are contrary to his word. Of course not. He's not going to lead you into error, all kinds of strange ideas or beliefs. He will speak to you in a way that will transform your existence. That others will be able to know that something is different about you. And so this is the question, is your life a red letter sermon? If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.